Go with me, please, to Romans chapter 12, a living holy sacrifice. This is an, an extremely important area of Scripture. Uh, there's a lot in it. We're going to cover the first 17 verses in the chapter as we go along. And we'll go to Ephesians for a couple of other passages. But we're going to be talking about a living, holy sacrifice. So let me read the first five verses to you anyway. Therefore, and this is, this is the Apostle Paul writing. And we'll talk about him for just a moment. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me stop for one moment. How many of you remember the clothing store called The Gap? Okay, G-A-P. The will of God is Gap. I don't want you to forget that. It's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. Okay, let's move on. For through the grace given to me, Paul's talking, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all of the members do not have the same function, the word function means gift, we don't all, all, all have the same gift. Verse 5. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Well, my dear brother Paul, Let's talk about him just, just for a moment. When we read scripture, we, try, we should try to figure out what the background is, who's writing the scripture, why this person is writing, what this person has gone through, and now is being anointed by the Holy Spirit to write the scripture so that we understand. It's not just a, a few words put down on a page in which, oh yeah, I read the Bible today. That's not it. You need to know the background of the writer. And Paul was, as you recall, his name was Saul. How many remember him? Okay. Saul, while he was doing his thing as a Jew, loved the Jewish law. He was a scholar of the law. Saul was probably one of the most brilliant men on the face of the Jewish function of his time. He knew the law. He knew the Old Testament scripture. He understood it. He preached it. He loved the Jewish law. He was a scholar. But he hated Jewish Christians. Do you know why? Because they believed in Jesus. And if you believed in Jesus, you were destroying the Jewish function of life, the Jewish law as they knew it. Now, God did not destroy the Jewish law. He added to it with the New Testament. But that wasn't what was going on. And the only thing that Saul could see was that these new Jewish Christians, he's not talking about Gentile Christians. Not, that wasn't his first function. That wasn't his first congregation. He's talking about Jewish believers in Jesus, and it was destroying Saul. Now, you can go to Acts 9 whenever you want to, and you'll find out what happened. On the way to Damascus, God kicked him in the butt. It says right there in the Bible. <laughs> if you got the Italian Bible, it's right there. Oh, I fell out. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. You never know what these Italian earpieces will do. 
You can go to chapter 9 of Acts and you'll find that Paul's on his way to Damascus. God knocks him off his donkey, blinds him, can't see. He has to be led into the city. He stays with a Jewish believer called Ananias. For three days he doesn't eat, he doesn't sleep, he fasts, he prays. And at the end of three days, God heals his blindness, fills him with the Holy Spirit, and now he is now a Jewish believer. That's the background of the guy who writes the book of Romans. And Romans are Italians. Hello? (laughs) Don't look at me like that. Romans, they're the best people in the Bible. God wrote a book to the Italians. Come on. And guess who he made to write that book? One of the smartest men on the face of the earth. Oh, come on. Oh, no, God. All right. Now you know who Paul is. Now you know who's his function, what he's thinking. So my question is, why is Paul urging us to present ourselves unto the Lord? Verse 1. Can I tell you why? Paul knows what it is to misserve God. He knows what it is to fail. He knows what it is to try his best to be what he's supposed to be and finds out it's not what God wants him to be. So now he's now preaching not to Jews, he's preaching to Italians. He's in Rome, he's in prison. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and putting me in prison. But he knows what it means to be messed up. He knows what it means to fail. And he's saying something to these Romans. He's saying, I don't want you to make the same mistakes I made. I have a question for us, New Hope. Does our lifestyle show concerns to others? Are we in a position to say to people, I don't want you to make the same mistakes I made? Because I made mistakes when I was your age, and probably your age, just like the rest of us did. I don't want you to go through that. My son told you how wonderful God has been to us. He's right. God has blessed our family. Doesn't mean we're perfect. And Paul is saying, I don't want you to go through what I have gone through. I want, even today, at my age, at 29, don't you dare look at me like that. And holding. I want to be able to share with people what they need to hear from someone who's gone through some things so that you don't make the same mistake. That's what Paul is saying. I urge you, I urge you, I urge you. Present yourself. Present yourself. He knows what God's mercy is because he's experienced God's mercy. What have you experienced? What's gone on in your life, and I don't expect you to tell me, I'm just asking you to think about it. What's gone on in your life that made such a difference in your life that now you need to make sure that others see not what you were doing, but, but how God brought you away from what you were doing to where you are now? That's Paul. So when you read the Bible, you need to understand who's writing it and the purpose behind it. He knows the mercy of God. We, New Hope, this church, and I love this church, we know God's mercy. This church 
knows the mercy of God. We have the before and after experiences as a family. We know what it is to be blessed. We know what it is not to have much. We know what it is to see mercy come our way and give us things we thought we'd never have. We now have a building that's painted on the outside, and people came to help us do it. Those are called called blessings. He knows the mercies of God. We know the mercies of God. We know the before and after experiences. And are we using our experiences to help other people? I did not say, go post your bad experiences up on the blackboard so everybody could see it. I did not say that. Paul's not saying that. What he's saying is, remember what happened. Figure out what you went through and why you went through it and how you came out of it. Blessed of God, so that God could use you. Amen? Okay, let me move on. Verse 1. Go back, please. Verse 1. He's saying, present your bodies a living, holy sacrifice. That's right now. Guess what? You can't work for God if you're dead. He's talking to people who are alive. And he's saying to us, New Hope, as long as we're alive, we need to be giving ourselves to God all the time in whatever fashion God wants to use us. And we're all different. I urge you, he's saying, present your bodies. Present yourself living and holy right now. Because right now we're alive. Right now we have the Holy Spirit in us. Right now we have the direction of the Holy Spirit. Right now we have the love, not only for each other, but those outside who do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Right now, we who are alive need to be inspiring other people. We were driving in this morning, looking at the landscape, looking at the different churches, and you know what the uh, majority of population is around here in their faith. We got a, you got a community of about 10,000 with three churches that stand up, very, very noticeable. They don't scare me at all. Because I'm alive, and you're alive, and God has done something for you, God has done something for me, and we need to share it. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present, which means give, share. Let your body, let your lifestyle, let everything that you are be a living and holy sacrifice. And this living and holy sacrifice will be acceptable to God. What is acceptable? (laughs) It's not the same for every person. I don't need to know what you've gone through. I just know you've gone through some things. You don't need to know what I've gone through. We're all human. And God wants to take that and turn it around And bless the results of coming away from that so that you can share with others the the wonderful miracle power of God in your life. Don't try to tell them the wonderful miracle power of God in the pastor's life. It's you that are talking to somebody out there. And it's you they're looking at. And it's you they're going to get strength from. Not me. I'm trying to give you the strength. I'm trying to give you the word, which I'm supposed to do. But then you take it and you present yourself and, and, and worship is, is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Verse 2. We have a challenge in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is gap, good, acceptable, and perfect. Don't be conformed to this world. Do you know why? Can I tell you what the world attitude is? Let me, let me shock you, okay? The, wor- the world's attitude is Satan is good, Jesus is bad. I mean, start taking a look around what's going on in, in our lives as a country. Jesus is not good with a lot of people. Jesus is being put down by as many non-believers as is possible. The enemy has a lot of worshipers. And it's all around. Years ago, when my son was on staff at a church in Las Vegas, years ago, my wife and I were then on the evangelistic field. We were traveling all over the country with a motorhome, pulling a car, preaching in little churches like yours. Literally, literally. And I was in, we were in Las Vegas visiting, and I went to a minister's meeting. And as I was coming home to their home, I drove down the strip. I knew where I was, and it wasn't, wasn't as congested then as it is now, but I was driving down the strip, and I pulled into one of these casino parking driveways to, just, just to sit there for a moment. And I looked up all around me, and I went. And I, I began to speak to God. I said, God... Satan has his faithful followers in this town. Where are yours? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Choose. You choose what you're going to believe. You choose what is right and what is wrong based on your knowledge of the Scripture, not on what somebody tells you from Washington. Because Washington, as it, it... All the countries, not just this country, but our higher-ups, our politicians are telling us Satan is good and Jesus is bad in every phase of our lives. And I'm not going to get into all that stuff that's going on. You already know what it is. He's saying, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 25. We're to renew ourselves. We're to be transformed. We're to do something, okay? So here's what he says in Ephesians. Same writer. In reference to your former manner of life, lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside... Falsehood, laying aside the lies, laying aside the garbage that you've seen. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He's telling us to make a decision based on what we know the Bible is telling us, based on what we know is truth, versus what we see all around us, which are lies. I don't care what your age is. Once you get to the point where you're beginning to see certain things, like our teenagers, you know what's a lie, you know what's truth. You know what's right, you know what's wrong. I knew what was right, and I knew what was wrong growing up as a teenager, and God grabbed a hold of me at age 16. Be transformed, which means be changed. That's what salvation does for you. It changes you, Dan. You're not the same person anymore. You're not supposed to be the same person anymore. There's supposed to be such a change in you that it's recognizable. And people look at you and say, 
What happened to you? I, I know for a fact. I better not say that because he'll think I'm picking on him again, which I always do. When people look at us, Gary, from what we used to be to what we are now, they're going, what happened? And that gives us an opportunity to tell them. That's what Paul is talking about, okay? Prove. Transform your mind. Begin to think about the things of God. Prove what the will of God is. Prove. Verse 2, back to verse 2 in Romans. Prove what the will of God is. Don't just accept any garbage that's floating around. But prove it. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is. It's acceptable. It's good. It's perfect. Verse three through five tells us Paul now is still talking, because now he's talking about attitude. And and we need this. We need to see what he's doing for the church. He's teaching and preaching. These Italians in Rome, he's in prison, remember that. He has a guard with him all day long. So in verses 3, 4, and 5, he talks about relationships and watching our attitude. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. This is a problem, I don't care where you are. I mean, I don't care, Rick, I'm better than you are. I mean, you know, just... Anybody taking a look at the two of us, they're, they're going to know right away, I'm better than you are. Watch the attitude. That's what he's saying. Because the attitude slides into the church. It slides into the membership. It slides into the people. And suddenly we're doing things that we never thought we would do. Watch the attitude. Because each of us are coming together, right? Okay. Don't think so as to have sound judgment. As God has allotted to each a measure of faith, and that means a gift, okay? For just as we have many members in one body, all the members do not have the same function or gift. We're different, okay? So we, who are many, are one body and individual members of one another. Oh, many members, we belong together. Many members, but one body. And only people who have lost a physical member of their body will understand what it means to have a loss. And you'll see it on TV. You'll see veterans that come back with no legs. You'll see these little children in these uh, hospitals, and they're trying to help them. And they have, they have no arms, and the arm is stuck. We're many members and the many members need, are needed to make the body function properly as a church. And if we're hoping and helping and lifting one another up, then the body begins to function. Each of us in this relationship has a measure of faith. Add up the measures of faith in this room. Add up what you've gone through. Add up your experiences. Add up... The, the hardships that you've gone through and say, okay, God, boy, if anybody comes close to me that's had this kind of a problem, I can help them. And I don't know what your problems are. You do, because you've gone through it. And this is what Paul is saying to the church. He's saying, watch your attitude, because each of us has a member of measure of faith, 
And we being many members, we belong together. We're many members, but we're one body in Christ. I love this church. You know that. And I've said it before. The first time I walked into this church three years ago, I felt love that I've never felt before. Ever. I still feel that love. And I have a feeling in my heart that you know that I love you. We're many members. And if we bring these strengths together, we won't, look, we won't be looking for reasons to pick on each other. I mean, come on. I don't care that Gary is better looking than me. I, I try not to lie on Sunday. <laughs> I have a hard time. We're many members. We bring together what we have and we love each other so that the big membership becomes one strong body, not a weak body. This is what Paul is trying to tell the church in Rome. And he says, we need to remember, there's a lot of people around here, but there's only one body. Last week, I don't know that you know this, but last week we had 86 people here on Easter. And six regulars were missing. That had been 92. Had a couple of people to my right been here. And a couple of people to my left been here. Which went out gallivanting, did whatever you wanted to do. Okay. One body. Now let me go to verse 6 through 17. And now Paul is going to break things down as to what the body is. We know where Paul has come from. We know that he didn't like the Jewish Christians. Now he's saved. Now he's had an encounter with God. Now he's changed his mind. The Holy Spirit has filled them. And now he is saying to people who don't know about this Jesus, we need to understand some things as a body. So, in verse 6 through 17, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Well, that makes sense. Now, here's his explanation. And he's sharing what these gifts are. If prophecy, if that's your gift, according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving. Or he who teaches in his teaching. Think about what your gift is. okay? Or he who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. There is no such thing as fake love in the house of God. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, preserving in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute. I don't want to do that. Bless those who persecute me. God, you made a mistake. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Which means you're going to begin to feel what's going on in people's lives. Be the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind. I'm better than you. No. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. He's telling this to brand new Christians in Rome. He's talking about the attitude of blended gifts. New hope. This church. Everything that I said on there and read on there is you. Because this is who we are. This is our attitude. We, I could go down the list again. And I could point to people in this room. This is you. This is you. This is you. I could do that. And you know I'd be right. Because you have that kind of love. The attitude of blended gifts. We serve the people in this church. I mean, come on. Give me a break. We've got people in this church who don't know anything else but serving. And they're great. People who teach in this church. People who give. I just talked to this, uh, the treasurer and she's telling me, you're faithful in your giving. You've been doing this. Paul is talking about New Hope Church over to Nevada. Because these are the things, the gifts that God has given to us. We give. We show mercy. And the key is this. This church shows love. No one will ever convince me that there's no love in this church. I'm sorry. No one. Because you've proven otherwise. You've shared this with other people, not just with me. Love is one of the keys. Devotion. You people are devoted. Rejoice. I see you rejoicing one another. I see you praying one for another. You had me on the floor back there a couple of weeks ago praying for my back. I didn't know whether I was going to be able to get up off the floor. We bless others. We respect others. We have a blended attitude. And because we have a blended attitude, we have blessed results. This is New Hope. Paul is talking to New Hope, chapter 12, book of Romans. And he's looking at all of us. And he's saying, I know what you can do. Because God is showing me what you can do. God is telling you what you're good at. So go ahead and do what you're good at. Because when you do it, it's going to bless not only you, but it's going to bless somebody else. Am I making any sense? Okay. I guess I'm supposed to quit. You know what that means? Nothing. (laughs) What he's saying here is, find your place in God and in the church family. And the Holy Spirit will help you do that. You, everybody, everybody pretty much knows what they're gifted at and what they're not gifted at. So why not let the Holy Spirit just kind of nudge you? Say, come on, over here. Get, get over in this corner because I got somebody in this corner that needs exactly what you have. He's telling the church in Rome these facts because they, the church in Rome, need this kind of encouragement. They need this family attitude. They don't have it. They've never heard about Jesus until Paul comes by, and all of a sudden, we're in Rome, and we're in a completely different religious atmosphere, totally different, and this man called Paul comes along, and he's beginning to talk about Jesus. They need the encouragement. 
They need the family attitude, this family closeness. They need renewed minds because their old mind has been dealing with the garbage of the world. New hope? We're family. Like it or not, you're stuck with me. And I'm stuck with you. Never mind the amens, brother. (laughs) And as we love one another, hear me, this is the critical part. As we love one another, others will see this and they'll come to Jesus. Because what we're doing is we're having spiritual advertisement. It's better than taking out an ad in the paper. When they see you, when they see you, I mean, I I keep looking at this guy and, man, there's something about him. That's what God wants. That's what God's looking for in each of our lives. He wants to implant things in us. That's what Paul is saying. I urge you, I urge you, I urge you. Let's get something done. Let's be the family that God wants us to be. Let New Hope be the family in this valley that God always wanted it to be. I don't care about the other churches in the community that don't believe what we believe. And I pray for churches who do believe what we believe that somehow they will grow. As we love each other, Others are going to see this. They're going to come to Jesus. Because they're going to come up to you and say, I I don't know what you have, but I think I need it. I don't know where you got it, but you need to talk to me. The power of family. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Paul is still talking in Ephesians to to the Ephesian church. But I want you to see how he pulls things together. Ephesians. Pastor Paul is talking to the church in Ephesians. Chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason, Paul is talking, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that we would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. And how to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. He wants you to be filled, not with yourself, not with, boy, I'm really great. No, no, no. He wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit will ooze out of you and touch someone else who can't be touched by anybody else because he's not finding people filled with the power and the presence and the love of the Holy Spirit. That's new hope. That's why I enjoy being here. That's why I, the devil can't stop me from preaching here. Because this church is a church that God is lifting up in this community. So Paul says back in Romans chapter 1, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, I urge you. He keeps urging. He keeps pushing. Understand, there's a, there's a time, a right time to push. There's a right time to urge. There's a right time to say, come on, folks. Get with the program. I urge you, brethren. I urge you. By the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. 
It's acceptable to God. Have you ever wondered what you could do that God would accept it? Present your bodies. A live body, not a dead body. Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind and your heart, your soul, your spirit. So that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. Have you ever questioned the will of God? Don't raise your hand. I know you have. Have you ever kind of looked at yourself in the mirror and said, God, because you talk to God when you look in the mirror. What's going on? Have you ever done that? You ever been driving down the road and saying, God, I don't understand what's going on in my life? I've done that. Especially with the loss of my wife. I've done that. But I know the will of God is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. This church, New Hope, is in the will of God. This church knows what the will of God is. It's good, acceptable, it's perfect. This church is a family. This church loves one another. We're not the same. We don't agree on everything. I didn't talk, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about love one for another because the Holy Spirit flows through us. This church wants the will of God. Do you know why? Because the will of God is gap. It's good. It's acceptable. It's perfect. What do you think about God? What do you think about a guy like Paul who's in jail trying to tell you what life is all about from jail? That's a bad pulpit, isn't it? I don't want that pulpit, but that's where God put him. And he's saying from his pulpit, this is the will of God. Prove it. Understand it. Grab hold of it. Put your arms around it. Accept it. Love it. Love the will of God. And while you're loving the will of God, you'll go through things and you'll begin, you know, I wonder, God, couldn't you have done, you know, and, and you go through that. And if anybody here has lost anybody, you know what I'm talking about. But you hang on to what is good and acceptable and perfect, the will of God. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good to us. And I think we're smart enough to know we won't make it without you, but with you, all things are possible. And that's what we need. We need this strengthening shot of the Holy Spirit that enlivens us, encourages us, builds us up to where we're not afraid to look people in the eye and say, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Let me pray with you because Jesus loves you. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you will touch people in this room for whatever their needs may be. And every one of us in this room may know the Lord as Savior. I believe that that's true as I look around. So whatever your need is, whatever your need is, 
Let God deal with you right now.